pouring poisons all over the stuff we're going to eat, uh, allowing corporations to make money by genetically engineering things, which more and more research is showing has uh, tremendously negative effects on our health, environmental health, ecological health, all that stuff. So. I believe, for me, growing food is part of my spiritual practice again. And I know not everyone's in a position where you can grow a garden or even participate in one. But if you can, if you can even grow a pot of mint on your balcony, you know, and eat something that you have that relationship with because you've nurtured it and you've put something of yourself into it. What starts here changes the world. Well, I've got to admit, I kind of like it. What starts here changes the world. We are the music thinkers, and we are the dreamers of dreamers. The average American will meet 10,000 people in their lifetime. I was handcuffed to another man from another tribe whose language I did not speak. Don't think, don't think, But if every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people, and each one of those people changed the lives of another 10 people, and another 10, we did not know each other. And we could not speak to each other because if we could have spoken to each other, we might have been able to figure out what was happening to it. To every politician who is taking donations from the NRA. It is because America has not invested in its people. Shame on you. And you can change the entire population of the world, 8 billion people. And if we could have figured out what was happening to us, we might have been able to prevent it. If you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people, change their lives forever. Well, it didn't happen. Here we are. You're wrong. Are you better off than you were four years ago? Fellow Americans, it's time to speak out. They're looking for help. They're looking for help. They're not looking for more of the same. When people lose their jobs, there's a good chance I'll know them by their names. When a factory closes, I know the people who ran it. When the businesses go bankrupt, I know them. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. And when we get enough money, honey, we'll bring you down. Their children were saved. Their children's children. Generations were saved by one decision, one person. But changing the world can happen anywhere, and anyone can do it. So what starts here can indeed change the world. But the question is, what will the world look like after you change it? Welcome to Public Access America. Make a stand. I know I did. Thank you very much, and may God bless America. I believe we actually get a different kind of nourishment from that than from food that we're disconnected with. And, yeah. Yeah. Starhawk, thank you uh, so much. I, you know, I think one of the opportunities that we have hearing you at Harvard Divinity School is to look at the edge, and I love how you put that, um, of uh, interfaith work. Mm -hmm. And uh, the kinds of there, there are so many similarities uh, between, you know, you've been doing this work for so long and for so many decades. Some of it is emerging in Judaism and is emerging in Christianity. You know, I think my, you know, I was just struck by the similarity of what you've said to what my rabbinic mentor says about, you know, an organic Torah, about patterns and, and all of that stuff that, that, that is so beautiful. Um, and it, 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 it occurs to me that, you know, we had a Jewish food conference where we were talking about this stuff, but there, were, there wasn't anybody there who wasn't, you know, uh, in the Jewish community in some way. And so 
how can we become better at doing this work together rather than separately, and how can we let the edge of interfaith encounter inform how we do this kind of work? Is there any way the work could be different or enriched by you know, better incorporating that, that edge of constant interfaith encounter? Oh, in Judaism, there's a concept called eco-kosher, you know, that, I mean, kosher isn't, you know, it is about following all the laws, which themselves originally had ecological value, and probably many still do, but about thinking about the way something is grown, <coughs> and the way it's raised, um, has an ethical and a sacred aspect in terms of what you want to eat and are willing to eat. And I think that's a concept that would be interesting to spread in an interfaith concept, you know, that, um, you know, because it's not just Judaism that has laws about food, uh, where your food is an important nexus of the religion. I also think that, uh, in an, you know, there are many different traditions that are starting to create green congregations where we say, okay, how do we take our building, our physical plant, how do we, can we grow a garden here? Can we, um, you know, can we make it less energy intensive, all of those things? How do we green it? You know, wouldn't it be wonderful to have an interfaith effort to look at the different churches and synagogues and places uh, to have interfaith gardening days and interfaith gardening feasts and things like that, and to be able to connect in that way uh, around, again, that real physical connection to the earth. Um, and I think the kind of richness and diversity in that edge of interfaith work often is a place where you know people do get insights into your own tradition uh, insights into different possibilities from that connection. Um, so helping people to understand that also as uh, an ecological, as a permacultural edge, I think might uh, help reinforce uh, that sense of the value of that kind of work. I wonder if there are women who have questions. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> urban studies student and I would love some practical suggestions on you know so Boston's very walkable and pedestrian friendly and so is San Francisco so when I think about city planning I like to think of ideas to, to bridge people and connect people together um, but some cities are just so massive that it's very hard to do that so they have these clusters and I'm wondering if you can offer some um, ideas or things that you've seen successful projects promoting spirituality, connection, sustainability, promoting efforts? Um, yeah, the city repair stuff is actually Portland, Oregon, which is possible is even more out there and eco-friendly than San Francisco. <laughs> um, but I think that there is a mayor's conference on sustainability that a lot of mayors around the country are involved in. I'm not sure about Boston, but... Um, you know, they have been doing a lot of, you know, the work that's so frustrating on the national and international level has been moving ahead a lot on the local level. I think Boston has a huge interest in climate change. 
because uh, I'll tell you something, every time I fly in, you know, um, which is probably a climate change sin, but I haven't figured out how not to do it yet, right? Um, but look down and see how close a lot of Boston is to sea level. Um, you know, a lot of Boston is not going to be here if the oceans rise 20 feet. Uh, so that's a huge reason for Boston to be concerned about this issue and to be taking action around this issue. I think Boston also has a lot of stuff in place uh, that, you know, when you look at the list of what are the most energy efficient system, cities in the country, actually New York City often comes out close to the top. And that's because a lot of people don't drive in New York City because they have great transportation, public transportation in New York City um, because of the density. And Boston shares many of those same characteristics. Um, there's a movement called the Transition Movement, Transition USA, that has been organizing people around small towns and neighborhoods to get together with your neighbors and say, okay, how do we take the resources we have now to make the transition to the next phase? Uh, and organizing something like that, I think, can be really helpful you know, starting in those little clusters in those little neighborhoods, getting people to take responsibility for their neighborhood, and then move from the neighborhood into how do we take responsibility for the larger city as a whole can be an effective way to organize. Yes. I, I will say I don't know whether I fit into male or female. I'm a trans man. I'm a little bit of both. So um, anyway, my question is, I was actually starting to learn about permaculture when I went home for Christmas. And uh, my siblings and family are very much into it and are doing stuff on their property, etc. They're also right-wing, Republican, Latin-right Catholic. So on the other side to it, what they're doing in permaculture does not translate into what I know of your social vision for the world. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering what critical tools that you're taking, <coughs> not just being involved in permaculture, but the critical tools you're using to extract out of that a certain social vision. Yeah, I mean, I will say, I have a great friend who works on a pretty big scale with cities and corporations trying to get them to green themselves, you know. And um, I was talking with him, about, we're making a movie of the fifth sacred thing of my novel, which is set in the future. And you know, we were having a discussion about it. He was saying, you've got to make sure the bad guys are ecologically responsible, you know, <laughs> right? And he said, because we're not going to make this work if it's just the good guys. You know, it, we've got to have the corporations, we've got to have the right-wing Republicans on board. In fact, when the right-wing Republicans are on board with something like permaculture, that is a really hopeful step. And it also doesn't mean that they're going to be on board with feminism or with you know, other kinds of social justice, no matter how logical that seems to me or to us. But for me, I think in the permaculture movement, um, in the permaculture movement, I would say the right-wing Republicans are probably the minority, but they are there, right? Uh, there are related movements like the holistic management 
ranching and grazing movement, which is tremendously exciting and probably a real key to carbon sequestration worldwide. And uh, Charles Williams, who co-teaches a lot of the permaculture with me and also manages my land, uh, he went and took the holistic management course so we could be doing rotational grazing in, in New Mexico. And he came back and I was like, how was the course? He said, well, aside from me, everyone else was a right-wing Republican ra rancher from Texas. Yeah. <laughs> like, great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, because those are, the, you know, when you get those people to change the world, the world can change. And I think also... You know, it is my hope and belief that as people start practicing permaculture, it does start to shift your thinking. And uh, it may not immediately, obviously, make that shift. Um, but within the movement, it gives you an opportunity for conversation and an opportunity to meet those people you might not otherwise meet up with or connect up with um, and to have those conversations where gradually people can kind of come to understand that there might be other ways to look at the world than the ways that they've been conditioned to look at the world. So, great. Well, thank you again thank you. for being in conversation. And thank you all. Over a lifetime, all of us change to an extraordinary degree. From a physical perspective, we start off as a little bundle about 50 centimeters high with cherubic features and elastic soft skin. I, I want you to understand that ask yourself at all times what's the reason you're doing or trying to do or saying you do what you do. Why go this far? Why try to learn this much? In the intervening period, every single cell in our body will have been replaced often many times over. So think about it. If you laugh, you think, and you fly. That's a full day. That's a heck of a day. You do that seven days a week. You will have gone through all kinds of experiences that perhaps leave almost no trace in memory. Remember, if you think you are wrong, you are And remember, there's no such thing as bad luck. Only lost opportunities. Never. We carry the same name throughout our lives and consider ourselves as a relatively stable, unitary entity. But is it really right to think of ourselves as the same person? Why try to see it all? Why try to have it all? Why do it? Why learn it? Stay angry. Stay English. A standard assumption is that it's our body that guarantees our personal identity. If you think you are inadequate, you are. Now the chance change. Process all this information. Let me introduce you to yourself. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.